Hello. It's like a, a fox snatching a rabbit all over in a matter of seconds. The man in the car would have passed two girls and then should have passed in that thing. I drove all over the place looking for I'm not exactly proud of the way I feel towards young girls. But this other part that says, you like it, go on. On August 19, 1978, a 13-year-old schoolgirl from the village of Aylesbeer in Devon, in the southwest of England, was delivering newspapers on her bike. She stopped in a country lane, about half a mile from her home, and spoke briefly to two of her friends before cycling on in front of them. A few minutes later, the friends came across the girl's bicycle, this time on its side in the road, newspapers strewn across the ground. Jeanette Tate had disappeared and was never seen again. What happened to her is a mystery. It is presumed she was abducted, transported from the scene and murdered. Her body has never been found. In a series of podcasts, I'll speak to some of the people involved in the case and trace the development of the police investigation from the initial witness appeal through the fruitless searches, raised hopes and dashed expectations to the present. I'll speak to family and friends of Jeanette who kept the search alive, detectives who worked on the case and members of the press who reported its twists and turns. Inevitably, due to the passage of time, many of those who were involved in the initial stages have since died. But there are still those who remember the little girl who vanished one day in the late summer of 1978. It is a case which has cast a long shadow over Aylesbeer and continues to fascinate investigators, the public and members of the press like myself. My name is Paul Greaves. I'm a news reporter at Devon Live in Exeter. And this is the story of Jeanette Tate's disappearance. Hello. Hello, John. Paul again. I'm Paul. Are you are you okay to go? John Tate, Jeanette's father. John is now in his mid-70s and lives 200 miles or so away in Manchester, in the north of England. He's now too ill to make the annual pilgrimage south to commemorate the anniversary of Jeanette's disappearance, something he does to keep the unsolved case in the public consciousness. But he was kind enough to speak to me over the phone and share his memories of his only daughter. She was born Taunton, Musgrove Park Hospital in Somerset. She was interested in so many different things. She was good at mathematical, mental arithmetic, yeah, she was good at that. We spent hours together with that. At one time, she was going to be a vet on and went off the idea. (laughs) I spent several months researching Jeanette's disappearance. What I found from the outset is that not all of the information in the public domain is reliable. Perhaps due to the passing of time, this is inevitable. We'll visit some of the main theories about what happened to Jeanette in later podcasts. But for now, I want to establish the facts. And for that, we have to go back to the beginning, to August 
1978. At that time, Jeanette was living at Barton Farm Cottage in Aylesbere, which is about 10 miles east of Exeter. She lived with John and John's second wife, Violet, and her 16-year-old daughter, Tanya, Jeanette's stepsister. August 19th was a Saturday. That afternoon, Jeanette was to deliver copies of the local newspaper, The Express and Echo. Her journey would take her from Barton Farm Cottage to the main Sidma to Exeter Road, about a mile and a half away. She would then return along the route in the direction of home, delivering those newspapers. Could I take you to the day, please, August 19th, 1978? What do you remember, yeah. what do you remember about the morning and, and the last time you saw Jeanette? Well, the, on that morning I wasn't very well. I had to go to the doctors with a sore throat and um, I also took Violet to work in the hospital and then I turned around and come back, went to the doctor's surgery and waited him and then I came back to there and got the girls up and got their breakfast. After a while I had to take Tanya into town to catch the coach down to see her dad and who lived in Cornwall and um, left Jeanette behind. Didn't want to. I gave her the opportunity going with me and I said, you know, I'd come back with her and do the newspaper run, but she didn't want to do that. It was the last time John would see Jeanette alive reading her puzzle books on the lawn. As we've heard, he made two trips to Exeter that day, one to take Violet to work in Exeter, the second to drop Tanya at the coach station. It was while he was in Exeter on this second journey that Jeanette embarked on her paper round. I come to Aylesbeer to see the village for myself and I've walked a short distance from Barton Cottage towards the centre of the village. It's the route Jeanette would have taken day she went missing. My first duty that afternoon as the village paper girl was to pick up the newspapers which were dropped on the main Sidma to Exeter road about a mile and a half from here. On the outward journey to pick up the papers she would have made her way through the village on her bike in the same direction I'm walking now. Aylesbeer is best described as a suppose a sort of linear village. It's little more than a collection of houses built either side of a road. If you're driving this route, you'll be in one end of the village and out the other in about 30 seconds. I can see on my right here is the oldest building in the village, that's the church, the church to the Virgin Mary. I can also see a red public telephone box, so you don't see many of these days. I suppose that is what counts as the centre of the village, but I walk on a short distance. Already in front of me I can see uh, the village pub, which I think has gone through various names and incarnations over the years. I think it was known as the, the Blue Anchor at the time of Jeanette's disappearance. It's now been stylishly remodelled, rebuilt even, as the Night Jar, which is a sort of gastro pub. The voice you're about to hear is that of Roger Busby. Roger was the senior press officer working for Devon and Cornwall Police at the time Jeanette went missing. 
This was her last day on this paper round. She was a, the relief paper girl, and she was um, she was she'd been doing the paper round for a week. So she'd only been involved in delivering papers on this route for the week. She was standing in for a. The main paper boy, so she agreed to do it for him. And uh, the Saturday was the last day she was going to do it. She picked up the papers out, out near the uh, the White Horse, and then delivered them on the route on the way back into the village. Standing by the road, the A three O five two, Sidma to Exeter Road. Probably here, it's quite a busy road. This is where Jeanette would have collected the newspapers that afternoon, August the 19th, 1978. She would have arrived here on her bike, the blue bicycle her parents got her for Christmas, 1977. Actually, this is the part of the journey her parents are on record as saying they were most worried about. I can see why. <clears throat> Particularly in the summertime, this is a very busy route. Exeter, Southwest, Sidmouth, it's very popular with holiday makers. And it would have been quite busy on that, that day, no doubt. She would have to have, she would have crossed the road, wheeled it across the road, I guess, and then turn right 100 metres towards where I'm now stood, the White Horse, and collected the newspapers, the Express and Echo newspapers, from the delivery van. Then she would have turned round, took back towards Aylesbeer along Withan Lane and on that day she was collecting money from people. The time is 3pm. Jeanette has picked up the pile of Express and Echoes from the delivery van at the White Horse and now begins her delivery route. She's riding a blue chopper style bike with a scotch plaid carrier basket to hold the papers. Contemporary accounts describe her appearance as boyish. She is five feet tall, with close-style brown hair, suntanned, wearing a white t-shirt with high collar, brown trousers and white plimsolls. John Tate, meanwhile, is on his way back from Exeter, having picked up Violet from work. The crucial events which change his family's life forever are about to unfold. On the way back um, from picking Violet up at the hospital, um, I had uh, an errand to do. And we were then in Cathedral Yard, and um, we decided to buy an ice cream, uh, sit there and eat it, which we did. Um, this is yourself and Violet. That's correct. And we then made our way back. Um, we sometimes stopped off in Portsmouth for the Tuesday for the day, um, and then we carried on back to the airport. Pulled in the airport because there was, a, in those days, there was a, a place you could pull in to watch the planes, you know. And, uh, uh, um, anyway, whilst we were there, the Spantax Airlines plane was coming into London, and we stayed and watched it. And um, we're talking about our holiday that we were all going on um, at the end of the summer. And um, we pulled in the airport and eventually we pulled away from there and went on home.
I've come to Aylesbeer, to Withan Lane, and I'm standing on the spot where Jeanette met her friends, Tracy and Maggie. This is the bridge. Below me you can probably make out the sounds of the brook as it bubbles away beneath my feet. Withan Lane is the epicentre, I suppose, for the Jeanette Tate investigation. This is where Jeanette went missing on that day, August the 19th, 1978. Jeanette had been delivering newspapers and had come across the two girls by chance in this lane. Now here, as I look to my right towards Aylesbeer, this is the only part of Withan Lane which has any sort of steepness to it. So Jeanette, at this point, dismounted her bike and the three girls, that's Jeanette, Tracy and Maggie, walked on together up the hill, Jeanette pushing her bike. Just to give you a sense of the distances involved, Withan Lane is about a mile long and we've travelled perhaps halfway along it to the point of the bridge. The road ahead of me now is levelling off. It's at this point that Jeanette got back on her bike and left the two girls. Jeanette has now cycled ahead of her two friends. They continued their leisurely path behind her while she cycled ahead. Interestingly enough, the, the chief constable, John Alderson, actually paced out the distance that Jeanette went ahead of the two girls. You'll hear more about that later. So we, we do have a good idea, a very good idea of, of exactly what the three girls were doing on that day and what Jeanette was doing ahead of me. I can see, I can see the church of Aylesbeer, the tops of some of the houses, left and right, farmland. Now on this particular day in summer, it was a warm summer's day, the road here, Withan Lane, it's a single carriageway, carriageway road. If you meet a vehicle coming either way, you you have to pull into the side to let it pass. The hedgerows in August, like every summer, would have been overgrown by August. Uh, white cow parsley, bracken. The air, by all accounts, was still, still walking towards Aylesbeer. And I'm approaching the spot where Jeanette's bike was found. So a short time after Jeanette had left the girls, Maggie and Tracy rounded the bend, took the route which I'd just walked. And it was here at this spot where they came across Jeanette's bike on its side, newspapers strewn across the road. Time was approximately 3.27 p.m. They called for Jeanette, shouted her name, climbed a fence, looked over the hedgerows, but nothing. 
Jeanette's friends coming up the road to say that they couldn't find Jeanette anywhere and they were pushing her bicycle all the time. And um, they came in and I went back with them to the lane to see where they'd last seen her. When you come back to Aylesby, the, the two girls and were some other friends around and, and they say they're, they're worried, they don't oh, know... Oh, they all started looking by then. They were jumping over a hedge, shouting her name and all sorts, you know. short time, I said to, oh, Violet said to me, John, I think we better call the police. So we went to the police house that was in Ellisbury at the time, where PC Laws lived, and they told him what had happened, and he got us on the telephone to Henry Police Station. And within minutes, really, they were in the village. Police dogs as well. Considering it was a football match on that day, and um, between Exeter and Plymouth, and the match was at home in Exeter, it was a pretty phenomenal turnout from the winner. And then in a short while, there was also a helicopter overhead, bright orange one, big one, that they used to use in those days, looking for her from the air. So began a Devon and Cornwall police investigation unprecedented in its size and scale. In the following hours, days and weeks, the rural calm of Aylesbeer would be shattered as the small village was thrust into the national spotlight. The peaceful village with its charming parish church and red telephone box was about to see for itself what a serious crime investigation looked like when it clicked into gear. Aylesbeer had no choice but to be ready. In the next episode, the police investigation to find Jeanette. We'll hear about the men given command of the emergency situation the frenzy of activity which Jeanette's disappearance unleashed in Aylesbeer and the race against time to find her. We'll speak to the last surviving senior detective in the case who'll tell us what really happened during the investigation and why detectives believed a man in a maroon car held the key to solving the mystery at the heart of the disappearance of Jeanette Tate. The Disappearance of Jeanette Tate is a Devon Live production written and hosted by Paul Greaves, edited by John Bishop, with special thanks to Nick Irving and Roger Busby and Devon Live editor Rich Booth.